Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Establishment Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being establishing his righteousness. This is part four of an eight-part series. And just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings and their donations. And in case you're wondering how to do so, as many have asked, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and go to our give page and you can give from anywhere uh, around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, we can make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page of our, on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, you can see our mailing address and you can send your checks that way. Uh, if you're here in the United States, uh, just so you know, we are 501c3, and your uh, your donations and contributions are tax deductible. Okay, uh, we will have our Bible study tonight at six o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack, and again on Wednesday night at seven o'clock by uh, the, the Believers Authority, by also by Andrew Womack. Okay, I also want to make another announcement that I've been making the last several weeks, and I'm going to keep making it. I've been wanting to make a video to promote this better. Uh, but anyway, uh, we uh, just do social media through Facebook, YouTube, and we have many podcasts and uh, even our website itself and many other avenues that we have platforms. We have over 14,000 people who watch our ministry every week. Uh, maybe not, they're not always live, but through many various uh, platforms and channels, they, they are watching us. And so, um, and a lot of these people are actually, there's a lot of people here local, here in the United States, but we also have a lot of people throughout the world, Pakistan, India, uh, many African countries, uh, whatnot, uh, Latin America, and so anyway, uh, that's part of my inspiration on this, but also our church is Lighthouse Discipleship Center, with the emphasis on discipleship, and so... Um, one thing that we're going to start rolling out here in January, and that's uh, hopefully we can roll it out in time. We've been extremely busy the last few weeks, but at the same point in time, we're trying to roll out a new, we're calling Elio's Bible Academy. It's a Bible Academy. It's a Bible school. Now, it's not accredited. That's not our purpose, and that we're not. There's a lot of people who really want to get grounded in the Word of God. Our gifting, my gifting is teaching, and so uh, I'm a teacher. Okay, I'm a pastor teacher, and so, and my heart is to get people grounded in the Word of God as if you went to Bible college. Okay, and so, uh, I want people to give people that same education and knowledge and, 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 and understanding of the Word of God as if they went to Bible college. It's not accredited, and, and there are things that we can work towards licensing and ordination if you were to graduate from our academy, uh, but we're not accredited, and and. and, and and part of that's actually on purpose, because that's not our focus. If that's the only reason you wanted to do it, is to get licensed or ordained, then uh, that would be the purpose. At the same point in time, this program is not just about being licensed or ordained. It's not just about being a pastor, missionary, bishop, a, man, a past prophet. Some people just want to get into the Word of God and be discipled. And that's what this is about. It's a Bible Academy. And so we're going to start launch this off in January. <laughs> <coughs> the goal is that we would uh, teach about four classes a week, uh, two different. We, 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 this course is designed to have 
four levels, and in those four levels, there's 14 courses, and in those 14 courses, there's eight uh, lessons each. Each lesson has a quiz. I'm going to teach these classes. My wife Sherry's going to teach some classes. Okay. As this grow, we may expand our faculty with this, but at the same point in time, it would just be Sherry and I teaching from, from, from the beginning. And we're going to have we're going to teach on two different classes a week. Uh, that means two two lessons per, per per class per week, and we're going to be uh, doing those on maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays. We'll give you more information if you go to our website to our Bible classes page. We have some links there that will give you some more info on it. Uh, right now, as we're still in the planning stages of developing this academy. Well, without further ado, I want to jump into our message this morning. I have a lot to cover. And so we are in part four of talking about being established in His righteousness. Now, this is my favorite topic. I love talking about this topic. It seems like every pastor has their, their kind of their niche. They have their, their they teach, can teach on a lot of different subjects, but they have one or two, maybe even a few more, where they're just, this is their, their primary messages that they teach. And it seems like every teaching they have, it has a, uh, a flavor of their main teaching in that. And this is my main, main teaching. When we first started this church seven years ago, I taught on righteousness for over a year. I have a whole testimony behind all that. I'm not going to reshare that right now. But we've been talking about being established in righteousness. So we're talking about righteousness, but we're talking about being established in it. Okay, being grounded, being rooted, being established in His righteousness. It's not our righteousness, it's His righteousness. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in this, uh, this lesson in the lessons to come. So let me just give a little recap. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You're going to have to look at our archives to get where you get each lesson. Okay, and just so you know, I'm going to be reteaching this for our Bible Academy coming in January. So uh, this is one of my primary teachings. But anyway, our first lesson, we spent about an hour on this, we talked about the unity of the faith. Paul talks about how there's one message. And there's not even the writer of Hebrews elaborates on this. And we are all supposed to be preaching and teaching the same thing. And we're, we're talking about... <coughs> Excuse me, how righteousness is the foundation. It's the elementary teachings. Okay, we kind of talked about that more in lesson two, and the whole teachings on being established in righteousness. In lesson two, which it was also uh, copied the same the title for the whole message, but it was being established in righteousness. And we kind of, lessons one and two, more introductory to the whole course and the whole eight lessons, but. We talked about righteousness being the foundation of the throne. It's the elementary teachings. It's the it's the foundational teachings. Now, if you build a house or a building or a corporation or even a family, the foundation is essential. You know, you can redecorate, you can re renovate a house and different things. There can be different seasons of life for a family, for for even a, ch a church, an organization. But there's something that has to be foundational, and there's something that we have to be established in. And righteousness is that thing that we all need. To, there's some doctrines that we can disagree and disagree on, but there's some doctrines that are just essential. You know, when I say elementary teachings, when, you know, I learned, to, to be honest with you, I feel like I learned a lot more in elementary school than I did high school and college. I learned things in high school and college, but I learned the basics of math. I learned my alphabet. I learned how to read and write in elementary schools. And I've taken that with me through high school and college. I would have never excelled in the high school. I would have never have graduated high school or college if I did not do well in elementary school. Okay? 
And uh, there's some things in high school I, I, I have not retained, and uh, I don't use them. And, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it's my fault, some of it's the teacher's fault, some of it's our other people's fault. And some of it's just the uh, fact I don't use it, okay? And so uh, I don't, you're going to have to reteach me algebra. You're going to have to reteach me uh, uh, pre-algebra and some, and some geometry, things that I don't use all the time, okay? I'm not saying it's not important, but it's, in one sense, it's not important in my life because I don't use it, okay? I'm not downplaying it. I'm not disrespecting it. But if you don't use it, you lose it. And so, um, but it, uh, algebra is not foundational for me. You know, it, it, for some reason it was essential that I learned it, but I'm not using it. And, and in some vocations and some jobs, it's, it's, it's highly essential that they know that. It may be elementary for that job or that vocation, but it's not elementary for everybody's life and everybody's vocation. And there's, so there's something that we need to be establishing, and it's called righteousness. And on this topic, we talked about being established in His love. I have a whole teaching. I'll have a whole eight lessons on talking about being established in His love, which will be another course in our Bible Academy. But I just took this as a summary of that lesson and tying it to how we are to be established in His righteousness. Well, this morning we're going to go into lesson four, and the title of this message is simple, Behold, there's something that we are supposed to be holding. And we're we'll be going to be talking about what we're supposed to behold and how, it and how it relates to being established in his righteousness. So as we're talking about behold, let's define this word as in, in the Greek. From the, from the New Testament standpoint, from the Greek, uh, let's, let's define this word. Let's define the word behold. Okay? The behold simply means to see with the mind. Okay? It means to see, but with the mind. Sometimes you don't understand that your mind has eyes. It's not eyes where it sees in a natural sense. You know, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that, that, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Okay? Heart and mind can also be sometimes used interchangeably in some circumstances. They are different, but they, they are also uh, closely related. But at the same point in time, there, there's something that we need to see with the mind, and we're going to elaborate on that this morning. It also means to simply look, see, listen. Okay? There's something you're supposed to look at. There's something you're supposed to behold. There's something you're supposed to see. Which also means there's something you're supposed to listen to. That kind of goes with the mind part. It's not just looking at something. You know, I don't know about you, but my parents sometimes, when uh, they were talking to me, or my teacher, you know, especially when there was a discipline moment, and they're like, look at me when you're talking, when I'm talking. They would say, look at me when you're, I'm talking. You know, it's polite to look at someone when they're talking. But sometimes when a, a, a authority figure in my life was giving me a lecture that I needed in that moment in time, they would say, look at me when I'm talking. Not only do they want me to look at them, they want me to listen. They want my undivided attention while they're, while they're trying to communicate something very important. Okay, and uh, so we need to look. We, that's why when we drive, we shouldn't be on a cell phone or uh, texting or, or whatever, because we need to have our undivided attention on the road. We need to look, we need to see, we need to listen. There's something that we need to behold, and we're going to talk about this and how it relates to righteousness. So again, the definition for behold means to see with the mind. It means to look, see, and listen. So with that in mind, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. 
and the feet tilt the forward. This is one of my primary verses. We've already looked at this briefly in times past in this series. We're going to be looking at it more in the, in the, series, to, in the series to come. But Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up verse 20. <coughs> and I'm going to be reading from the King James for this passage. And Paul says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. We're going to keep reading it here in just a moment. But Paul says, But ye have not so learned Christ. We're going to look at that phrase here in just a moment. If so be that ye have heard of him, who's him, Jesus, and have been taught by him, Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus. Okay? There's some, there's a truth that is in Jesus that we are to so learn. Okay? Now there's a colon here, so he's going to expound on this truth that we are to so learn. But I want to look real quickly. Now we're talking about behold. Now I want to go back real quick. We're talking about behold. That's the title of this particular lesson. I want to go, we're talking about behold. And we're defining, we define behold as to see with the mind. It means to look, see, listen. That's what the word means in the Greek. Okay? And 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 we're going to look at this. This, this, this word, and we're going to look at several scriptures this morning that have this word behold in it and how it relates to righteousness. But here we're starting off in our kickoff verse this morning. But ye have so learned. And there's something that we need to so learn. It's a truth that we have to so learn. And this truth that we're so learned is in Jesus. And he's going to expound on this truth. What is this truth that we're supposed to so learn? But let me pause here for a moment and let's. Look at the Greek in regarding to this phrase, so learned. This, so, this, this phrase, so learned, is madano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's the Greek. That's a transliteration of that word. Okay? It means to be imbued. It means to permit, permeate. I don't even know if I spelled that right. But, okay, I, I know I'm not pronouncing it right. It means to be saturated. Okay? There's a, there's a truth... That we are to be imbued. We're so to learn. We are to be permeated in. We're supposed to be saturated in. You know, there's something. You ever been, I mean, we don't get this too much here in Southern California. But sometimes, we, I remember a time a few years ago where it rained 11 days straight here. That is extremely rare in Southern California. And when you, when it rains for 11 days straight, the ground is saturated. <laughs> okay. And so, and that's when we can have some mudslides, especially where we've had some wildfires recently, okay? But there's something that we have to be so learned. And that doesn't mean just learn, but we just need to learn this thing to death. We, we need to be so permeated and imbued and saturated. There's a truth that, there's a truth that's in Jesus that we need to so learn. Remember that the, the word behold means to, to look, to see, to listen. It means to see with the mind. There's something that we need to be, and we're talking about being established in righteousness. You follow me so far. <clears throat> okay? Let's go on. Verse 22. What is this truth that we have to so learn? There's a colon here. So he's going to explain it. That's why I like the King James with this particular passage, because there's a colon here. The colon tells me he's going to expound on what he just said right here. Okay? That you put off concerning the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'm going to come back to that. 
and that, that you put on the new man, which after, which after God is created in righteousness, that's what we're talking about, and true holiness. Okay? The, king, the king, New King James says true righteousness and holiness. The King James says righteousness and true holiness. I'm okay with either way, but I just know that. Let, let, me, let me back up before I get ahead of myself. This truth that we are to still learn, that's in Jesus, it means that we are to put off the old man and we are to put on the new man. Okay, there's a lot of there's a lot in the middle that I'm gonna expound on, but this truth that we are to so learn is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man. This new man, and I'm gonna come back to this later, is that is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're talking about being established in righteousness. And in a sense, we're also talking about holiness, too. Holiness is not what you do. Righteousness and holiness is who you put on. It's a who. Both of these words are nouns, so they are not verbs in the Greek. Okay? A verb is something you do. And a noun is a person, place, or thing. <coughs> we are supposed to put on this truth that we are the soul learned to be so imbued and permeated and saturated in is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man which is created after God and true, true righteousness and holiness. How do we do this? How do we, how do we, okay, we learned this. That's great. But how do we put off the old man? How do we put on the new man? How do we put on this righteousness? How do we put on this righteousness we are so, so learned? In the spirit of our mind. That is the definition of the word behold that we just talked about. Okay? So there's something that we're, we're supposed to do something in our mind. Paul says in Romans, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Trans, the word transform is metamorpho in the Greek. And it's where we get metamorphosis, like a butterfly to, I mean, a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a frog. We are transformed when we renew our mind. Where we transform from the old man to the new man. Okay? And we're going to be looking at this. So let's recap a couple days. There's a truth that's in Jesus. And we are to be imbued, established, that's what we're talking about, in the knowledge of Christ. Okay? We are to so learn this truth that is in Jesus. And this truth that we are to so learn is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man who's created in, true, in righteousness and true holiness. And we do this in the spirit of our mind. Okay? The truth that is in Jesus is that we put off the old man. The truth that is in Jesus is that we put on the new man. We put off the old man, and we put on the new man. Okay? True righteousness is who we put on. True holiness is who we put on. We do this in the spirit of our minds. This phrase is what the word behold means by definition. Okay? Now that we've established this, okay, let's move forward. Let's talk about beholding your new identity. Hopefully I'm making sense. I'm going deep with some of this stuff. I hope I'm not going too fast, but I want to keep moving at the same time. Okay? 
with this, I'm going to go real quick just for we're going to talk about right now. There's something we need to see with our mind. There's something that we need to see and look at. And in this aspect of it, we're going to talk about our new identity. We, if we are born again, we use that phrase as Christians, being born again, but a lot of us don't even really know what that means. We embrace it. We call ourselves born again Christians. But if we're born again, we have a new identity. Okay? We are born again. We, didn't, we weren't born in our mother's womb again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Okay? We are a whole new creation in Christ Jesus. And we're going to get that verse in just a minute. Okay? Matthew 28. Jesus said this just before he was ascended to heaven. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I'm going to look at that word in just a moment. In the name of Jesus. We're supposed to be baptized in the name of, Je uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And though I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a lot in here. I'm not going to capitalize on everything. But one thing, I, before I come back to this word baptizing, okay, Jesus said we're supposed to make disciples teaching them something. We're supposed to teach them his commandments. Well, last week we looked at 1 John 3.23. This is his commandment, that we believe on Jesus, on the name of Jesus. So real quickly, let's back up here real quick. We're supposed to baptize, people, baptize disciples in his name, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to teach them things that he commands. And his command is that we are to believe on the name. The name that we just got baptized into. The name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave his commandment. <coughs> I'm not going to reteach this. I taught this last week. Okay? But going back to Matthew, we are to make disciples. We're not supposed to make converts. We're not just trying to make churchgoers. We are making disciples. A disciple is a disciplined learner. Okay? And so, disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What does the word baptize mean? It means to immerse. We are immersed into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If, you know, the, one of the ways I teach this, when I talk about being baptized into the name of Jesus, when Sherry married me, she changed her name. You know, we got married here in California, and then we moved to Wisconsin there, and I had a, I was called to be a youth pastor out there, and it was out, we were there a whole year before she had to get a job, and because we were going to be relocated to Illinois, and um, she had to get a job at Walmart just for a few months so we could have a little extra money for the move, and we realized we, we changed. We got the marriage license just fine, but we forgot to change her name with the Social Security office. And so we had to drive two hours to Madison, Wisconsin, to to get that changed. And so, because her maiden name, Sherry England, was not who she was anymore. She had a new identity. She was now Sherry Everett. Okay. And so her her identity changed. Her name changed. Your name is also your authority. If she signed a check, Sherry England, that check would have no authority. That signature would have no authority because that's not who she is. Your identity is your authority. You are a child of God. You are born again. You are the righteousness of God 
in Christ Jesus. Okay? We're supposed to make disciples, baptizing them into the family. Our father, the son, our brother, our, the firstborn brethren, of, the firstborn of many brethren. We're, we're, we're baptized into the family. You know, when Sherry and I got married, I became part of the England family, and she became part of the Ever family. The two families, in one sense, merge. Jesus said, and, I mean, Paul said in Ephesians 5.30, that we are one flesh with Jesus. Just like Sherry and I are one flesh. Okay? She had a new identity. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, Peter said, this is at Pentecost, the birth of the church, he said, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to unpack this verse real quick. We're talking about behold. We're talking about being established in his righteousness. And I'm going to connect this verse with what we're talking about, being beholding and talking about what we're talking about, being established in his righteousness. Let's look at this word repent real quick. Again, what does the word behold mean? It means to see with the mind. The word repent means to, metanio, I can't pronounce it right, so excuse my Greek, okay? Change, it means to change one's mind. Behold means to see with the mind. Repent means to change your mind, which also are your purpose, okay? We, te we teach it many times, it means going in the other direction, but how many you know you can't go in a different direction until you make a decision to go in another direction, Okay? If I make a U-turn, the car is not going to turn on its own. I have to mentally make a decision. I'm going to make a U-turn. Okay? That's how it works. It means to change your mind. If you change your mind, you'll change your behavior. Okay? That's how that works. Okay? It means it means turning to God. There's some people, they teach repentance, stop, and all they talk about is stop sinning. If all you do is stop sinning, but you never turn to God, that's not repentance. You don't get to heaven because you're not sinning. You get to heaven because you have Jesus. Okay? Repentance without turning to God is not repentance. Re repentance means it, it's transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's one of the aspects of repentance. You're, there's a transformation. There's a, there's a changing. There's a renewing. This word renewing in the Greek means renovation. There's a renovation of the mind. Okay? Repentance also means removing the veil. We talked about this earlier. We'll, we'll look at this a little bit more. But there's a removing of the, of the veil. Because, and which has a lot to do with the mind. We'll, we'll look at that a little Don't get too... If that confuses you right now, don't worry. We'll look at that a little bit more in a few minutes. Okay? And even Romans 8, 6, I don't have the verse up here, but Paul says, to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay? If you don't change, to be naturally minded is death. And if something is death, I don't know about you, but I want to change my mind about it. I want to stop thinking about natural things. I want to start thinking about spiritual things. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world today. I don't need to get, you know, I, mean, I could go off on tangents right now. But, you know, how do you pray for the world right now? Do you get your information from the world, from the news, as to how to pray? Or do you get your information from God, how to pray? Are we being led by the Spirit of God? Or are we being led by the news? To be naturally minded is death. If your source of information 
uh, to pray for the world is, is the news only, that's death. But if your information how to pray for the world comes from the Spirit, that's life. Okay? And I'm not trying to step on toes, but some, some toes need to be stepped on. Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. I, I'm trying to help. Okay? And uh, we need to be spiritually minded. Okay? You know, Wigglesworth would not allow the newspaper in his home. And he did a lot of miracles. And yet we let the news in our home. And Wigglesworth would not allow the newspaper in his home. And we marvel at the, at the miracles. He, because his, he got his news from the Holy Spirit. He did not get his news from the newspaper. And that, that, that's how Wigglesworth was adamant about it. He would not allow, he was angry. He, 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 he's like, you can come in, but you leave the newspaper outside. He would not allow the newspaper in his home. Anyway, I need to get back to the message. Second Corinthians, it says, Second Corinthians 3, 14 to 15 says, But their minds were blinded. Remember I talked about this veil? Okay, I had the wrong reference here. It's 2 Corinthians 3, not 2 Corinthians 5. Okay. Because we, we read this several weeks ago. I'm not going to reteach all this, but this is what I'm talking about. But their minds, we're talking about beholding, seeing with the mind. We're talking about changing the mind. Okay? Their minds were blinded. If your mind's blinded and you need to change, that's repentance. Okay? Their minds were blinded. How was it blinded? For until this day, the same bell remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. That's speaking of the law. Okay? Because the bell is that's taken away in Christ. But even this day, when Moses is read, that's the Old Testament, the law, a bell lies in their hearts. The old, you know, if you're so focused on the Old Testament and you're not focused on Christ, your mind is blinded. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because that's what Paul says. The Old Testament will blind your mind. But we're supposed to behold something. We're supposed to be beholding a truth that is in Jesus. And how do you remove this veil? You preach Christ. The veil is removed when you preach Christ. That's repentance. That's when you're, instead of focusing, when you change your mind to stop focusing on the Old Testament and start focusing on Christ, the New Testament, we're going to get there in just a moment in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul talks about communion. He says, My, this is the blood of the new covenant. We are in a new covenant. The old covenant was a, it was a bell. It blinded our minds, okay? Going forward. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the bell is taken away. Now, the Lord is a spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay? We're going to spend more time on that in just a moment. I'm talking about repentance, okay? For God is our producing repentance, leading to salvation. Repentance is not salvation in and of itself. Repentance leads to salvation. Okay, I'm not doing a message on repentance. I'm just making a, some points about this. Okay, let me just—you might want to write this down. This will be a little lengthy. I believe <coughs> true repentance is an awareness of the wrongness of living without Christ and the desire to live a vital relationship with God. As he has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this a couple more times. You'll have to write this a little faster. Or you'll have to see the video and write it down later. But I believe the true, repent, not true repentance is an awareness of the wrongness of living without Christ. We need to realize living this life without Christ is wrong. That's, 
the first stage of repentance. And, I have a conjunction there, a desire to live a vital relationship with God as He has revealed Himself to us in Jesus Christ. I'm saying two things here. I believe true repentance is first being aware of the wrongness of living without Christ. The second part of that coin, on the flip side of that coin, is a desire, I also believe repentance is a desire to live a vital relationship with God. One side of the coin is awareness that I'm living without Christ. The other side of the coin is that I need to live with a, with a relationship with God. As he has revealed that relationship through Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, he brought a new element to a relationship with God that nobody had understood before. He's the one that brought the term called God Father. No one had called God Father at that point. That's a different type of relationship than that God is out there somewhere. Okay? Let's go back to uh, Peter real quick. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, I already expounded on baptized a little bit. Okay? And baptized into the name of Jesus. It, it means a change of identity. Just like I talked about Sherry changing her name. It means a change of authority. When she, she changed her name and how she signs her name on a check or a document. Like, do you know that a check is a legal document? Okay? If you embezzle someone's check, yeah, that is called felony here in America. That, you know, it, because it's a do document. It's a forgery. I talked to a police detective years ago. He says, when you endorse a check and you embezzle, you are basically robbing the bank without a gun. Because that signature is your authority. Okay? Your identity is your authority. An example marriage would have already given. Okay? We are one flesh with God as, he, as we are one flesh as, as husband and wife. And he talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay? Let's go back to Peter real quick. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I'm talking about behold. What does it have to do with behold? Because we're talking about behold means to see with the mind. Well, we're changing our mind. We are now one with Christ. We are baptized into the name of Jesus. I'm not myself anymore. When Sherry got married, she is no longer just an individual. She is no longer single. She's married. I, too, had to change my mind. I'm, not long, I'm no longer a bachelor. I'm no longer single. I am married. I can't just make decisions by myself. I am married. Okay? And so I, I would re, I'd repent, in a sense, change my mind. I am now emerged with Sherry in, 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 in one flesh. Okay? We are now not our own. We are, we are part of not only, we are not only a part of God and Him, and we, we are also part of the family of God. And it goes deeper than just God. It also goes, it goes horizontal, but it also goes vertical. I think I got that backwards. But anyway, um, for, and then you can be passing in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let's talk about this for a moment. I talked about it several weeks ago when I was talking about a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and then said Jesus, this is John 20, he said to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Okay? Verse 23. Whosoever sins, ye remit, 
they are remitted unto them, and whoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This has been very confusing to many people for the years. I've taught on this several weeks ago, and, and, and I've heard many variations of how this works. Can you remit someone's sin? No. But Jesus says, whoever you sin, you remit. They are remitted. What does that look like? Well, Jesus said the same. This is John. Let's look at Luke. He said in Luke, he, then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the cross. And rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his what name that we're baptized into to all nations. That sounds like Matthew. That sounds like John. Okay? That also sounds like the book of Acts that Luke also wrote, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay? So, <coughs> back up real quick. We are to be baptized in the name of Jesus for remission of sins. Jesus told in John that whatever sins you remit, they are remitted. In Luke's version of the story, how I many know if you if you got if, if a car accident happened around the street and when a hundred people saw that car accident, you're going to get a hundred variations of what that car accident looked like. Well, well Luke said, Jesus said, and that, that repentance. We're talking about repentance, remission of sins. We're talking about remission of sins should be preached in His name. Okay, Jesus said He came so that repentance and remission of sins would be preached. The disciples were eyewitnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus. How are, are their sins remitted by preaching the gospel? Jesus shed His blood. For everyone. And God wants everyone to be saved. So whose sins will be remitted? Everyone who believes the gospel. Whose sins will be retained? Whoever rejects the gospel. This makes more sense now. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Whoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted. Why? Because we're preaching Jesus. We're preaching the gospel. And the gospel, as we've already talked about in this series, reveals the righteousness of God that we are supposed to be established in. And so we ought to get people to change their mind and be baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins. What did Peter preach? He preached the gospel at Pentecost. Whose sins will be remitted? Everyone who believes the gospel. Whose sins will be retained? Everyone who rejects the gospel. We'll talk about behold. We need to behold the gospel. What does the gospel reveal? His righteousness. We need to repent. When we hear the gospel, we need to change our mind and believe the gospel. And so that our sins can be remitted and not retained. Jesus took your, became your sin. So that you can become the righteousness of God. That's remission. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus took your sins and crucified it, then you are still holding on to them. Jesus took them. He crucified it so that you can be righteous. But if you don't believe that, if you don't accept that, if you haven't reconciled with that, then if you, if you didn't let Jesus remit them for you, then you are still retaining them. You need to behold that your sins have been remitted 
by the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's change the subject a little bit. We'll still talk about behold, but let's talk about his glory. We talk about our new identity. Let's talk about his glory. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. We've been here before. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding, there's that word behold again, as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're going to talk about glory in just a moment, are being transformed into the same image from glory, that's glory again, to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? Let's back up again. We just looked at this a minute ago. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's back up to where we were just a minute ago in 2 Corinthians 3.14. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day the same veil remains. What am I doing here? <clears throat> Let's go back real quick. Paul says, but we all with an unveiled face. Well, what's an unveiled face? You can't understand what a, you can't understand what an unveiled face is until you understand what a veiled face is. Am I making sense? Uh, what's a veiled face? Well, we're in, in context, verse 14. He says, but their minds were blinded, for to this day the same veil remained unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. The veil is the law. Okay? Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses read, a veil lies on their hearts, blinding their minds. <coughs> Verse 16 and 17. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What veil? The law. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We, many people have quoted this verse, and, and, and that, that verse is true just by itself. At the same point in time, it goes in context. Okay? Paul, Paul, Paul didn't change subjects here. Okay? I don't, and there's a lot I can elaborate on here. And he, he, this goes right into verse 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Back in 2009, this verse changed my life. And I don't have my little mirror with me, but I remember in 2009, I was reading this verse, because it says, Beholding as in a mirror. What's a mirror? A mirror is not a window where you see through. A mirror is a reflective device. And when I comb my hair this morning, my hair is getting a little long, so I have to comb it a little more now. Okay, I'm ready for a haircut. But at the same point in time, when I look in the mirror, I see me. A mirror will reflect whatever face is in front of it. Whatever's in front of it, it will reflect it. Our little puppy will look into the mirror, and she's first time she saw herself, she didn't know what she looked like. But she knows now. She thought it was another dog, but it was after her. When she barked at it, it barked too. Okay? Uh, a mirror is a reflective device. Okay? And we're supposed to behold, we're supposed to see the mind, something in the mirror. Okay? And I remember when I read this verse, uh, several years ago, 2009, the Lord asked me, Dave, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And I said, well, every time I look in the mirror, I see Dave. I see me. And I knew I had answered the question wrong when God had asked me the question again. Dave, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? And I kept saying Dave. Now, we went around, we, we kept going in circles on this for a little while because I wasn't getting it. I know there was something God was trying to teach me or show me. But I wasn't getting it. I still, I was like, I look in the mirror, I see me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who you see when you look in the mirror, but I see myself. Okay? But that's not, the verse says, see, if, if the veil has been removed, 
And the veil, the veil is blinding our minds, and beholding is seeing with the minds. If we remove the blinder, I'm thinking of a horse with those blinders on. If we remove the blinder, there's something we're going to behold. And when we remove the law, and we, re, we and how do we? There's only one way to remove the law. That is through Jesus. When we turn to the Lord, repentance. When we, when Christ, when the veil is taken away, in Christ. There's only one way to remove that veil, and that is to receive Jesus. And now that the veil is removed, and we receive Jesus, when we look in the mirror, we don't see ourselves. We see Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we're in 2 Corinthians 3, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we know no man after the flesh. Behold, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're going to go there in just a moment. So, God was saying, when you look into the mirror, because when you receive me, the veil will be removed so that when you look in the mirror, you see my glory. We just talked about last week how Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He was our substitute. We've been talking about through this whole series that he who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus became my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. So when the, the and, and in context, in verses 7 and 8 and 9, Paul is compare, comparing with the ministry of condemnation and death with the ministry of righteousness in his spirit. One, one is the law, and one is the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the spirit. Excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Hit the wrong button. And, and so, when we behold as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we're supposed to see us. Why? Because we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Once we receive Christ, we don't need to see our sin. We don't need to see our flesh that's been crucified. We need to see Jesus. Because we, as he is, so are we in this world. We talked about that last week. And when we see, when we behold his glory in the mirror, we are going to be transformed into the same image that we are beholding. If you keep seeing yourself in the mirror, you're going to keep being yourself. But when you see Jesus, his glory, you will be transformed into his glory. You'll be transformed into the same image, his glory from glory to glory. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? Let's look at this word glory real quick. We'll talk about beholding his glory. Doxan. There's a couple different definitions for doxan, but the one I'm going to look at this morning means God's view and opinion. How many of you know God's view and opinion is the only view and opinion that matters? If your opinion doesn't match up with God's opinion, Guess which opinion needs to go? When your God's opinion is the only opinion that matters about anything. Okay? God's word is his glory. Okay? We are to behold his glory in the mirror. Not our glory. We're supposed to behold 
his glory. We're supposed to behold his view, his opinion. We're supposed to behold him, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are transformed into the same image we are beholding. If we're beholding his glory in the mirror, we will be transformed into his glory. Paul, I mean, God said this in Genesis. That God said, let us, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. This, this is before the fall. This is, this is before man ever sinned. <coughs> Excuse me. This is before man ever sinned. Before there was ever sin in the world. God did not create sin out of them. Okay? And God made mankind, male and female, he made them in his own image and likeness. Sin interfered with that. That's when man died. But Jesus has restored us into a right relationship with God so that we are recreated into his same image and his likeness. Okay? It goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. There are no other gingers, okay? God created male and female, okay? And if you can't get that right, you need your mind renewed, okay? But we are created in the image of God, okay? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become. We already st we studied this work several weeks ago, and this word means to be, be born of, that we might be born of, the righteousness of God in him. We need to behold who we are. That is who we are. We need to behold his glory in the mirror. Okay? God and Christ crucified our image of sin through Adam and gave us his image of righteousness. Our new image in the mirror is the righteousness of God in him. We should be seen, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we need to see ourselves as righteous. In other words, we have to behold who we are. We are a new creation. We are born again. We are righteous in the sight of God. Let's go back to this real quick. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with an unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I want to look at this word glory a little bit more. Where does this word glory come from? We're in verse 18. Let's go back to verse 7. Paul, in the same context, and just a few verses earlier, said the ministry of death, that's, a, that's written and engraved on stones. There's only one ministry that was engraved on stones. That's the law. It's called the ministry of death. It was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses, because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. The word glory is used three times in this verse. Verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious for the ministry of condemnation? That's the same ministry here, but let's use a different word. Had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Some of you might be thinking this morning, I'm I'm bashing the law. No, the law was glorious. 
But the ministry of the Spirit is, much, is more glorious. Okay? The ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of death was glorious. But the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. And the ministry of righteousness, which is the same thing, is much more glory. It exceeds much more in glory. <coughs> Both are glorious. But the ministry of the Spirit, which is the ministry of righteousness, which we're talking about, it exceeds much more in glory. If Paul uses the word Spirit and righteousness interchangeably, I can also use them interchangeably. Are you following me? Okay? We are to behold His glory in the mirror. What glory? The glory of His Spirit in the mirror. The glory of righteousness in the mirror. Because Paul said, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious when the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness had exceeds much more glorious? We take this into verse 18, but we all with an unveiled face, removing the glory of the Old Testament, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, which is the glory of the Spirit, which is the glory of righteousness are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What does that mean? We are transformed from the glory of the Old Testament to the glory of the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. And how is this done? By the Spirit of the Lord, which is the ministry of righteousness. Because the word spirit and righteousness are used interchangeably, we can switch this, Okay? And we're talking about two different glories here. I am not bashing the Old Testament. Paul is not bashing the Old it, it was It was glory. Past tense. The New Testament, this ministry of righteousness, exceeds much more in glory. Present tense. Paul said this, Peter said this way, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorrupt. There's no, there's no corruption in the seed of Jesus that we are born again into. It's glorious. It's more glorious. And if that's who we are, then when we look in the mirror, we need to see who we are. Stop looking at the flesh. Paul said this way, where he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. We even quote this verse a lot. It's, it, and this verse is right in the middle of everything that we just read. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Paul talked about the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness in the same context that this verse is used. So I can change the word too. Now the Lord is, the, is righteousness, and where the righteousness of the Lord is, there is liberty. If Paul used the words interchangeably in the same context, I can use them interchangeably in the same context. Now let's switch gears here. Let's talk about our sonship. Now I know some of you are ladies. Male and female, he made them. Okay? I've made... When we you talk about sonship, it includes you too when we're talking about the family of God. Okay? He made them male and female. In the image of God, he made them. Okay? Behold... 1 John 
So we're talking about sonship in 1 John 3, 1. says, Behold, there's that word again. See with the mind. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. So ladies, you can't get mixed up with that one. We are children, male and female, sons and daughters. We are the children of God. We need to behold what man. We talked about love last week. We had a whole lesson on that. The Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Okay. Galatians 3.22 says it this way. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That's the law. You know, when the, the word scripture is used in Paul's letters, and uh, the New Testament didn't exist yet. Okay, I believe, you believe, most of you believe that the scripture includes the New Testament. But he's specifically talking about the Old Testament here. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the guard by the law. We'll come back to that later. For the faith which were after would be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Verse 26. For you are all sons, our children, of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about sonship right now. We're talking about being children of God. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. When do we look at that? Our opening verse talks about how we're going to put off the old man and put on the new man. Okay? But for your, uh, let's go back. We're talking about beholding our sonship. Or our, how we are children of God. We are his offspring. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put faith in Jesus Christ, you are the child of God. We are to behold who we are. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the child of God. I need to behold who I am. We are his sons. We are his children. We are his daughters. We are baptized, emerged into Christ. We have put on Christ. Christ is our new identity. And Christ is who we are to behold in the mirror. Paul said this way, Colossians, the mystery. See, this is very mysterious to most of you, or some of you. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations. But now, now, when's now? Now. <coughs> now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory. There's that word glory again. Of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's go back to the Galatians real quick. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul said this in Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children, the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It goes on to say, verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and of children and heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The ministry of the Spirit testifies of our sonship. The ministry of righteousness testifies of our sonship. Okay, let's go back real quick to 2 Corinthians 3.8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious for the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceed much more in glory. Now, the, the Lord is the Spirit. What the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, verse 17. Kindness in the verse 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord <coughs> are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Again, the lie can tie in. Again, this is just more of a recap right here. Okay. Let's switch gears. Let's behold that we are a new creation. Okay? I'm running a little low on time, so I don't want to keep moving forward, okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of God compels us because we judge this. We've looked at this verse multiple times the last two weeks, okay? We talked about the love of God last week, okay? And this love of God, the propitiation of our sins, compels us to come to this conclusion that if one Jesus died for all, then all die. And it's in that context. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to flesh. We're talking. I want to slow down here for just for a second. We're talking about beholding. There's something that we need to see in the mind. We're talking about how we need to see who we are in the mirror. Am I making sense? Okay. And if we are seeing who we are, no longer. If we're beholding who we are, if we have removed the veil of the Old Testament, we are not regarding ourselves in the flesh. If Jesus died for it, if he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him, we need to see ourselves not as the flesh, but we need to see ourselves as born again, the righteousness of God. Okay? Why? Because he said, therefore, from now on we regard, why is it therefore? Because he died for all. Our old man died. We're putting off the old man. And in the spirit of our mind, we're putting on the new man. Am I making sense? That was our opening verse. We're putting off the old man, and we're putting on the new man. We're doing that where? In our mind. Therefore, if he died, the old man's dead, we regard no one according to flesh, even though we have known Christ according to flesh. Yet now we know him no longer. What does he mean there? Well, some of these people who lived in these times saw Jesus in the flesh. Okay? But he's not in the flesh. He's ascended, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. That's why the gospel is talking about the, the birth, burial, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Because Jesus is not in the flesh anymore. He's at the right hand of God. Okay, he's in this glorified state. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, there's that word again. All things have become new. We need to see with the mind that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. We have put off the old man, and we have put on the new man. You know that phrase in Ephesians 4, where it says, put off the old man? That phrase, put off, in the, in the Greek means to cut off. It's the same terminology as circumcision. We need to, that's why circumcision represents baptism. That, Paul talks about this in Colossians. Circumcision and baptism are basically the same symbolism. We're cutting off the old man, and we are putting on the new man. Okay, Circumcision doesn't change, save you by itself. 
any more than water baptism saves you by itself. But water baptism is a symbolic expression of what took place uh, on the inside. I won't water baptize someone if I haven't heard a confession from them that they believe that Jesus Christ uh, is Lord and that he, he died for their sins. Unless they have a, a basic understanding of the gospel and believe it, I'm not going to water baptize them because they're just going to get wet. That's all that's going to happen. Okay? Uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Our wedding ceremony did not make us men and wives. Okay? From a civil point of view, our marriage certificate did that. Okay? And so, uh, but anyway, but the ceremony is beautiful. The ceremony is a, is a declaration to the world. We're married. From this point forward, we're known as husband and wife. Okay? But we're supposed to be whole. All things have become new. In context, verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That goes with the ministry of righteousness and spirit that we talked about two chapters ago. Okay? That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We, we implore you on Christ's behalf, we reconcile to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's go back to a quick. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So if we're looking in the mirror, we need to see a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. What, what, is, what are we supposed to behold? We're supposed to behold that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The old man is dead. The old, old, old things have passed away. What old things? We, Jesus became sin. Jesus became our old man and crucified it so that we can become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. We need to behold. We need to see with the mind. We need to repent and see with the mind that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to reckon ourselves. We talk about this many times, but real quick, Romans 6. Know, know ye not that as many were, were baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm not talking so much about water. We were baptized into Christ. We were emerged into him. We became one flesh with him. We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. That like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. <coughs> Behold, all things have passed away, all things have become new. Okay, verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Colon. What does that mean? Well, he's going to explain that. Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. If you're if you're dead from if you're dead, you're free from sin. Okay? Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also be live with him. Colon. What does that mean? Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Colon. What does that mean? But that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11. Likewise, wrecking yourself. That's almost the same terminology as behold. It is a totally different word. But reckon yourself also yourselves. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin and, uh, and 
There's a two part to this. Be dead to sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, and we need to reckon ourselves to be alive to God. The dead to sin talks about the cross. The, 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 the alive to God talks about the resurrection of the cross. And Paul, in Romans chapter 4, talks about the resurrection of the cross is our righteousness. That is our righteousness. That's how we become. The old man is dead. See, water baptism symbolizes that we were buried in, with him in baptism and that we raised together with him in newness of life. When you come out of the water, you are a new creation. That, you're not beholding the dead man who was buried. You're beholding the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to go to Romans 4 right here. He did not waver at the promise of God. He's talking about Abraham through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that, that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. Verse 22. And therefore it was accounted to him, Abraham, for righteousness, not that now it was not written for his sake, it was not, it was, now it was not written for Abraham's sake alone, but that it was imputed to him, Abraham, but also for us. This, this, the whole count for Abraham was not just for Abraham. It was for us. That it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. If God, Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, if we believe in God, it will be counted to us for righteousness. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses or sins, and was raised because of our Justification. The word justification and righteousness are the exact same word in the Greek. It is the same word. He, Jesus went to the cross for our sins, but he was raised from the dead for our righteousness. Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised for our righteousness. Okay? But we, going back to Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. To the redemption. We, we looked at that word earlier a minute ago. <coughs> that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified in his sight. You cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay? There's much more here. We're going to spend more time in Romans chapter 3 and in future lessons. Okay? I'm going through a little bit fast because I'm almost out of time. But I wanted to get to this last part that I want to talk about this morning before we close. And that's discern his body. We're talking about being established in righteousness. And more specifically this morning, we're talking about behold. There's something that we need to see with the mind. There's something that we need to so learn. There's something that we need to behold. There's something that we need to look at and see and listen to. And in light of talking about beholding and how it connects with righteousness, we're going to talk about how there's something that we need to discern. And we need to discern his body that was broken for us. We need to discern the cross. We need to discern the gospel. Okay. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is talking about what we know as communion. What does communion represent? Okay. For I, Paul, received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul received a revelation about communion that he's now delivering to us. Okay. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he's talking about when he went to the cross took bread. That last Passover, the night he was betrayed by Judas, he took the bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Got that? We're going to come back to that. Okay, verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. It, it, it's not going to be. It, it's not part of it. It doesn't just symbolize. It is the new covenant in my blood. The blood of Jesus is the new covenant. It's not the veil of the Old Testament. It's the, it's the new covenant that removes the veil. Okay? This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of him. So, real quick, <coughs> as a recap, when we take a communion, the, the bread and the wine, uh, they represent his body and his blood. That's what they represent. Okay? We're supposed to do both of these in remembrance of him, in remembrance of Jesus, okay? Verse 26, for often, so you can do this as often as you want, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you doing? You're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. That's what you're doing, okay? You're doing it in remembrance of him, but you're also proclaiming his death till he comes. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, that's where some of us lose it. Because this is strong language. Anyone who does... And there's something that some people don't do it in the right manner. They're guilty of the body and the blood. You can't get more threatening than that. Okay? So, people are very cautious about the communion because of this statement. Okay? They don't want to do it in the wrong manner. Okay? And then verse 28, this is where a lot of people miss it too. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. <coughs> and he, repeat, he, he, he repeats the same penalty. For he who eats and drinks in the unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And this is where a lot of people mess up. Verse, let me read verse 30 and I'll come back. For this reason, many are weak and sick and among you, and many are asleep. It's talking about dying. Okay, many are dying prematurely. Okay, let's back up real quick. Verse 24. We're partaking of the bread, which represents his body in remembrance of him. We're partaking of the cup, which is the new covenant, which is his blood, in remembrance of him. The table of remembrance, as we know communion, it's called a table of remembrance, okay? And, 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 and it says in Psalm 23, I don't have time to go there, but it's prepared in the presence of our enemies, okay? That's a whole other message I don't have time to go into all that right now. And we're, we're, we're doing this as often as we want to, partaking of the bread and the drink, to proclaim his death till he comes. Now, in the book of Leviticus, I'm not going to read all of this, but in Leviticus 1 through 5, there are five offerings. We have the burnt offering in chapter 1. We have the grain offering in chapter 2. We have the peace offering in chapter 3. We have the sin offering in chapter 4. And we have the trespass offering in chapter 5. All five of these offerings represent what Jesus did for us on the cross. What Jesus did for us on the cross was so complex, it took five offerings in the Old Testament to illustrate what Jesus did for us. See, when you don't understand the New Testament, you will never understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a mystery. 
The New Testament is the revelation of Jesus. The New Testament, the, the Old Testament is Christ concealed, where the New Testament is Christ revealed. And it took five offerings that most of us don't even understand because they're not, they don't concern us today because we're in a new covenant. But they represent what Jesus did for us at the cross. Now, even though there's five here, we're not going to look at all five of them. We're only going to be focusing on the first one and the fourth one. The burnt offering and the sin offering. Those are the two we're going to look at real quick. I'm not going to go to Leviticus, but let me explain them to you. Let's talk about the sin offering first. In Leviticus chapter 4. Okay? The sin offering, a man would find a spotless lamb without spot or wrinkle, without any blemish. A man would lay his hands on the lamb, and the man's sin was transferred to the lamb, and the lamb was slaughtered or crucified. That's what the sin offering is. a little more complex than that, but that's basically what happened. The, the, the sin offering rep represents the, the lamb taking the man's sin, and that lamb cruci being cru slaughtered or crucified as the man's propitiation. Okay? The burnt offering, though, in Leviticus 1... Again, man would receive a spotless lamb. It would be the same lamb as a sin offering. Okay? Man would lay his hands on the lamb, and man's sins were transferred to the lamb, but the lamb was... I, 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 I said this wrong. The sin offering, the man's sins were transferred to the lamb. And, 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 and for the burnt offering, the, the, the spotlessness of the lamb is transferred to the man. Jesus is our burnt offering. Okay? In other words, Jesus became our sin offering to take our sin, and he's our burnt offering to give us his righteousness. My, my slide is wrong. Okay? So, in the burnt offering, and you'll see this throughout the book of Leviticus and, 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 and throughout the Torah, that twice a day they were supposed to do a burnt offering. Every morning and every evening. You can find that in these references here. They also were supposed to do it before every battle. Remember, remember when King Saul lost his kingship because he did what the priests were supposed to do? See, in the Old Testament, you cannot be a king and a priest. But in the New Testament, Jesus is our king and our priest. You find that all described in Hebrews chapter 7. But they were supposed to do it. They were supposed to offer a burnt offering before every battle, and they were supposed to offer, they were supposed to start and end each day. Remembering that Jesus is our righteousness. Paul, God wanted every mankind, he wanted his people to be reminded what he did for them. Before and at the end of every day and before every battle. He prepares our table in the presence of our enemies. Psalm 23 verse 5. I have a lot more I can elaborate on this. This is just awesome. This is rich. We, how many know is a table of remembrance? We need a reminder. Every morning, every evening, we really remember. Now, of these five offerings, it says that the burnt offering went up as a sweet aroma. There's no sweet aroma in the sin offering, but there is a sweet aroma in the burnt offering. Because there's no, there's no sweet aroma in our sin, but there is a sweet aroma in our righteousness. The sin offering represents our sin being transferred to Jesus, who is our propitiation. But the burnt offering represents Jesus' righteousness being transferred to us, a new creation in Christ Jesus. No, but I want you to hear me. I'm going to tie this into 1 Corinthians here in just a moment. 
Nowhere in the Levitical law was the priest or the man to examine the man. Nowhere. They had to find a, a lamb without spot and without wrinkle. Nowhere when they examined the man. The whole reason they had a lamb, because the man had sinned. Nowhere in the Levitical law would they examine the priest, would the priest or the, the man or woman or child, they would examine the man. Only the lamb. And as are we discerning the man instead of the lamb? Because Paul says, let my man examine himself. And if we don't do it, we're not discerning the Lord's body. But this is in context of this. We're supposed to partake of his body in remembrance of him. Of his blood in remembrance of him. This whole table of remembrance, this whole communion ordinance, is a reminder of what Jesus did at the cross. He became our burnt offering. He became our sin offering. In context, we are to be remembering his body broken for us and the new covenant in his blood. In context, we are to be discerning his body broken for us, the new covenant and his blood. So if we are examining ourselves, and after, after we remember the cross, after we thank him for taking our sins and nailing them to the cross, we, re, we examine ourselves and see sin. And remembering his body, we should be examining ourselves as righteous. Because if we're examining ourselves and remembering what he did for the cross, then in one sense we're saying Jesus did nothing. That is an unworthy matter. In remembering his body, we should be examining ourselves as righteous. In discerning his body, we should be examining ourselves as righteous. In remembering his body and examining ourselves, why would we see sin? Because are we remembering that he took our sin? Why are we still going to see what Jesus crucified? In discerning his body and examining ourselves, why would we see sin? Okay? And remembering his cross and examining ourselves, are we discerning that Jesus accomplished nothing? In remembering his cross and examining ourselves, are we beholding his righteousness? Because Paul said, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Discerning the man instead of the lamb is an unworthy matter. We're supposed to be discerning his body. And remember it's him. So when we examine ourselves, because nowhere, nowhere in the Levitical law would they examine the, 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 the man, they're supposed to examine the lamb. But Paul does say we're supposed to examine himself, but in context of remembering what he did, we should examine ourselves and see that we are righteous. We are holy. But we all, with unveiled beholding as the man of the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image. Well, who are you seeing? Are you seeing the man before the cross? Or are you seeing the man after the cross? Because when he made him who knew no sin be sin for us, that we might become the righteous God in him. Solomon said this, You are all fair, my beloved. There is 
no spot in you. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it, for therein is the righteousness of God. Revealed through the cross, through this table of remembrance, got the got with the gospel is being illustrated through the through the bread and through the cup. We and revealing the righteousness of God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because his, in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. This is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in God, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Let a man examine. I'm reading a lot of verses that we've already covered in the last four weeks. We need to discern. We're talking about behold. And we're talking about being established in his righteousness. If we are established in his righteousness, when we are beholding, when we are going to discern his body that is broken for us in remembrance of him, his, the blood of his covenant in remembrance of him, when we examine ourselves discerning his body, we're going to see it is finished. It is done. And because people are not examining themselves properly, they go to the communion table thanking God for forgiving their sins, and then they then they then they examine themselves as as, as if the, the whole communion exercise that they just did, the ordinance, was worthless. Because the sin's still there. So in one sense you're saying everything you did in remembrance of him. Accomplish nothing, but that's not true. Because even even the Old Testament, that's not how it happened. Man, Jesus was our sin offering, and he was also our burnt offering. And because people are not doing this right, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you in ministry. Most of us are sick. I'm talking physically sick and weak and are dying prematurely. Because we are not examining ourselves and discerning his body properly. Okay. Paul says this, and I know I'm over time. For I jealous for you with a godly jealousy. We'll be looking at this a lot more deep, deep, deeply in future lessons. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin of Christ. But I fear that somehow as a serpent Deceived Eve by his craftiness, so that your minds, we're talking about the minds, may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. We'll be looking at this a lot more deeply. Verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not, you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, Paul feared that we may put up with it. God, one of Paul's deepest fears for the body of Christ is that we would listen to another message, another Jesus, that he, that we have not heard. Not only that we would listen to it, but we would put up with it. Exclamation mark. Paul says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen 
me. We'll be expanding on some of this in a future lesson we we'll talked about behold this morning. But that, what I kind of ended with is what I'm going to be talking about more next week. It's called a subtle beguilement. And we need to hear this. Because Paul was jealous over us with a godly jealousy. He, would, he feared that we would be deceived just like he was deceived from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Because we're not beholding what we should be beholding. If we don't behold what we should behold, we will be beguiled. Okay? And so, this is the good news. But if we're not doing this, we will be beguiled. And the beguilement will be subtle. Because usually the beguilement will be using the Old Testament. The Old Testament's not bad. But the Old Testament, if you read it right, will reveal Jesus. Okay? And we'll be talking about that more de deeply, in more detail, explain it better next week. Okay? But we're out of time for the day. We will see you tonight. I hope this has been meaningful for you. You really need to listen to this whole series in context, the whole series, because it builds one precept upon another precept. And uh, you need to hear this whole thing in, in one shebang. So anyway, uh, even the Lord's Table will spend more time on that in the last, uh, our eighth lesson. We'll spend more time on that. So anyway, God bless you guys.